And now here's the fifth and final old episode of the Fantastic Forecast, recorded out of order and inserted into its proper place for the first time. Actually, this episode was recorded in two different years. The first part about Fantastic Four 588 was recorded on March 5th, 2011. And the rest of it was recorded today, May 10th, 2017, where I'll be going through all the issues of the spinoff book FF, which take place between this issue of the Fantastic Four and the next issue of the Fantastic Four. Is this a podcasting first? A podcast that took over six years to make. Hi, welcome to episode 588 of the Fantastic Forecast. The world's, I don't know, greatest podcast? I'm your host, Dave Elliott. In every episode, I'll be discussing a different issue of the Fantastic Four... Today, issue 588 from April 2011, three epilogue, month of mourning, by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragota. Yay, Nick Dragota! Our story begins right after the end of the previous issue, where Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, was trapped in the negative zone and attacked by a horde of bug monsters, a situation they believe Johnny most likely did not survive. The Avengers arrive at Baxter Building and find the thing on the floor, arms wrapped around Johnny's niece and nephew, Everybody looking very distraught and sad. Sue Richards returns home to find out about her, her brother, and she looks sad and distraught. Reed is back a couple days later, and he comes into the bedroom to find his wife curled up on the bed, looking sad and distraught. And he reaches out for her. You know, he's been in space for a while, and he, he wants to get it on, but she throws up a force field around herself. Sorry, Reed. No poon for you. And now, he's sad and distraught. At this point, I should mention... There are no word balloons or narrative boxes in this issue at all. It's just pictures. So I really have no fucking idea what's going on. So I'll just do my best. The next day, it appears Reed opens the door to the negative zone. And the little bug monster is standing there, holding the remains of Johnny's tattered Fantastic Four shirt. You know what that means. That's right. Johnny Storm is shirtless. So Reed is sad and distraught and closes the door to the negative zone. You know... I wonder why they don't go into the negative zone to find Johnny. When Ben died, they literally went to heaven to get him and bring him back. Is Johnny Storm not worth the effort? The next day, they have a memorial for Johnny, and all the superheroes have come. The Avengers, the X-Men, subterranean mole people, the Submariner. The FF really know how to throw a party, even when someone dies. Yeah, And even the She-Hulk is there to comfort her former teammates. The next day, Doctor Doom's protege... Christoph Vernard is ascending to the throne of Latveria while Doctor Doom looks on from the shadows. And then, the next day, a huge limousine pulls up at Johnny's funeral and the Doctor gets out. First he cries on 9-11, and now this? Doctor Doom, he's not living up to his name. He's just a nice guy. In honor of Johnny's memory, they've erected a huge statue with an eternal flame. I bet that cost a pretty penny. When they find out Johnny's not really dead, they're going to be pissed. I don't think you can get a refund on something like that. So anyway, on day 14, after the disappearance of Johnny Storm, Spider-Man is swinging by and he sees Franklin Richards sitting on the roof of the Baxter building by himself, so he stops by for a chat. More on that later. On day 24, 21st, a girl, I think it's Valeria, Sue's miscarriage, she's in the classroom with all the kids and freaky mutants, and she writes on the board, to-do list, find a replacement, and the list reads, 
She-Hulk, Storm, Black Panther, Wyatt Wingfoot, Alex Power, uh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist. And then she erases it and writes under the to-do list, Kill Annihilus. See, there you go. That's a good idea. 21 days in the FF. They haven't done shit. And this girl, she's got a good idea. On day 26, the thing is hanging out with the Hulk and Thor. This is really confusing. And then they try to present him with some kind of holographic image of Johnny, which Ben doesn't seem to want. And then he turns to leave, and Thor puts his hand on his shoulder, and the thing turns around and punches Thor for no reason. And then the then the Hulk punches the thing, who picks up his Fantastic Four ship, and he slams it down on the Hulk. And then they all fight for a little bit. And then the thing breaks down, crying, and falls to his knees on the ground. Holy cow. A few days later, Reed is in his lab, looking worried, unshaven. His computer screen lists several of the items he has to worry about. Threat of invasion from the negative zone? High. Invasion from Universal Inhumans? High. Celestial invasion from Bridge? Medium. Franklin Power? Set? High. Galactus destruction of Earth? High. Charlie Sheen destruction of himself? Very, very high. There's a lot of shit here to keep the Fantastic Four busy. Busy enough for two monthly Fantastic Four books? Coming soon? Next, some kind of trans-dimensional doorway opens, and guess who shows up? The Impossible Man! Ah, no, I wish. It's Nathaniel Richards, Reed's father. Hello, son. I'm home, he says. And that's it. That's the end of our story. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this... Po- oh, wait a minute. There's a... There's a little bit more. There's a, there's a backup story called Uncles by writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Mark Brooks. This story features the new member of the team, Spider-Man. So we go back to day 14, when Spider-Man has landed on that roof to talk to Franklin Richards. Spidey asks if he can join Franklin for a bit and hang out, and Franklin says, okay. So they're both sitting there, feet dangling off the side of the building. Franklin mentions that his Uncle Johnny died, and Spidey says, he knows, and he asks how Franklin is coping. Franklin says he's having trouble sleeping at night and having bad thoughts, and Spidey offers to take him for a trip through town. They swing off together, and Spidey offers to buy the kid a hot dog, and he reluctantly agrees. When they're at the hot dog stand, Spidey doesn't have any money on him, so he has to mooch off Franklin. I think this was Spidey's plan all along. He knew Franklin was rich, and he wanted free hot dogs. So they swing up to the top of the Chrysler building, and they eat the hot dogs, and Spidey decides to tell Franklin about how he lost his uncle when he was a kid. Franklin offers to tell Spider-Man a secret, and that is, he believes he could have used his powers to save Johnny. This prompts Spidey to tell the rest of his story about how he could have used his powers to save his uncle from the robber who killed him. And so now that they've bonded over their dead uncles, that's our tale. Starting soon, a new comic starring the members of the Fantastic Four called FF, which may stand for Fantastic Four, or Freedom Foundation, or Fist Fucking, I don't know. And Spider-Man will be the Human Torch's replacement. That's right. They killed off Human Torch, so they could add Spider-Man. Yay, more Spider-Man! So if you don't get enough Spider-Man in the dozen other comics he appears in every month, here's another. And writer Jonathan Hickman says in interviews, this was a creative decision he had in mind when he first pitched his run on the book. I guess that explains how such an obscure D-list comic writer got a job on the world's greatest comic magazine. I have an idea. I want to add Spider-Man to the Fantastic Four. And the Marvel bean counters are like, Great idea! Why didn't we think of that? You're hired! Congratulations, Mr. Hickman. You're a massive tool. Here's a stack of money for being such a genius. 
And you know the sad part is, the cynical marketing scheme is to sell more comics will probably work. Kill a character, sell more books, add Spider-Man and or Wolverine, sell more books. It works every time. You know, if anyone from Marvel is listening, I have a great idea. Bruce Banner dies, and Wolverine is exposed to gamma radiation, and this allows him to become the new Hulk. A Hulk with claws. Just imagine. It'll be awesome. The fanboys would love it. And it makes sense, too, because, you know, Wolverine started out as a, as a Hulk character anyway. So, you know what? I would be a great comic book writer. So, anyway, if you want to email me a question about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, if you need relationship advice, or if you want to offer me a job writing The Incredible Hulk, you can reach me at podcastff at gmail.com. You can check out more at podcastff.blogspot.com or at twitter.com slash podcastff. So long, folks. You know what? This is the final issue of the Fantastic Four. And that means no more. No more Fantastic Forecast. I'm done. You don't have to listen to me anymore. So long, everyone. And that does it for the year 2011, and welcome back to the year 2017. Welcome to the Fantastic Forecast, episode 588, part 2. Today, it's FF number 1, I guess that stands for Future Foundation, from May 2011. The Club by Jonathan Hickman and Steve Epting. We start the story with some agents of AIM, an organization built on the goals of world domination and free instant messaging. It's a group that seems to have splintered from the main AIM group. And Dr. Forson says they need some new ideas. And he pulls a lever, and this weird portal of some kind opens up, and he says, Prepare for spatial tunneling! Meanwhile, at the Baxter building, a month or so after the so-called death of Johnny Storm, Reed is watching a pre-recorded hologram, Tasha Yar style, of Johnny, who has some words of encouragement for the kids and a recommendation for the rest of the team. Which is, get Spider-Man to take his place. Ugh. This did not make me happy at the time. Ever since One More Day, Spider-Man is persona non grata with me. The rebooted Spider-Man, with his very, very confusing personal backstory and his Swiss cheese continuity, I just can't take it. And I was not, so I was not happy to see Spider-Man in the pages of this Fantastic Four book. So Reed thinks about it, and he's like, 
Alright! And next we see Spider-Man swinging along, landing on the roof of the Baxter building, and wondering where the door is. So a tube comes up with a door, and he's welcomed in by Sue Richards, who's wearing a black version of the new Future Foundation uniforms, which are hideous. She fills Spider-Man in on what's going on, that Nathaniel Richards has returned, and the Future Foundation is at work changing the world for the better. Sue has become the regent of old Atlantis with full control. Spider-Man sees Dragon Man sitting on a sofa in the living room reading a book. By the way, as they tour the Baxter building, which, as I've always complained about, always looks different inside and has never, never had a consistent look about it for the entire length of the Fantastic Four run and, I guess, the FF run. It changes from artist to artist, from issue to issue, making it the most boring superhero headquarters ever. So as they tour the headquarters, Steve Epting does a bang-up job of redesigning the headquarters. It's very futuristic, very earthy too, with lots of plants and trees. I really like what he's done with the place. Too bad it won't last for very long. They come across Ben, sitting there moping by himself. He doesn't say anything, he just slams the door shut, beating himself up over the so-called death of his best friend. We see that Sue can make her costume change color from black to white, and the white version is the ugliest thing ever. And she gives Spider-Man a white Future Foundation uniform, which is also hideous, but the black version of the FF uniform kind of looks like his old Secret Wars black outfit, which is one of my favorite superhero outfits of all time. I like it. But Spider-Man goes with the white version. Next. An alarm goes off, saying, Incident underway at the Pavlov facility. Well, it seems that the Pavlov facility is where those AIM agents transported to with that portal. They blast a hole in a wall, and there's a guy locked up in a room, sitting there naked, meditating. And he says, Is that the fluttering of angels' wings I hear? Fifteen minutes later, the four members of the Future Foundation are rushing off to the Pavlov facility. They arrive and immediately start fighting with the agents of AIM, and we see that guy uh, that the AIM are trying to rescue is... He's the wizard. They hand the naked wizard his big purple helmet, and Reed tells his teammates to hurry up. They gotta stop him, but they're too late. The wizard teleports away with his new friends. That's gonna be a problem, isn't it? Ben suggests. Back at Fantastic Four headquarters at night, Nathaniel is cooking up a roast for dinner. Spider-Man goes to sit at the table, but Franklin won't let him sit in this one chair next to him because that was Johnny's seat. Oh, poor kids. He's going to be such a screwed up adult. And before they eat, they have Alex Powers say a prayer. Really? Where did that come from? You know who prays before they eat? Religious people! You know who's not very religious? Reed Richards! What's going on here? Are they just humoring Alex? Because maybe he comes from a religious family? He starts his prayer by saying, Dear God, or similar Judeo-Christian messianic figure, or the Ancient Ones, or some weird evolutionary something or other, or some random confluence of events that resulted in the perfect conditions of life to flourish on this once barren desolate hunk of rock. At least he's covering all his bases with that prayer. And for this creepy kid who is a clone of the wizard, Bentley, Alex adds, 
or Mephisto, the devil, or some other evil incarnate being. You gotta love the liberal Reed Richards, allowing for the inclusion of everyone's deity of choice, even if that deity is Satan himself. So they start to eat, and Reed has an idea. Terraforming the moon. Sounds good to everyone else at the table, except his father, who says that's a terrible idea. No explanation given. So later, Valeria and Nathaniel come to Reed and tell them what they've been up to. And Reed doesn't like it one bit. But they go into another room, and they see what they've done. Turns out, they've invited Doctor Doom to join the Future Foundation. Hi, welcome to episode 588, part 3, FF2, from June 2011, Doom Nation, by Jonathan Hickman and Steve Epting. So Dr. Doom has been invited to join the Future Foundation, and Ben is not happy. So unhappy, in fact, he smashes the table. Eh, that kind of happens all the time. Maybe that's why the headquarters always look so different. They're constantly fixing things that Ben has smashed. Buying new furniture. Putting up new walls. Doom takes a moment to rub in the fact that Ben could only watch while Johnny died. Well, kind of died. In the negative zone. Reed tells Dr. Doom to shut up. Sue has to use a force field to keep Ben from clobbering Dr. Doom. Valeria mentions that it was her idea, as if that's going to make Ben feel any better, that a three or four year old girl asked their greatest enemy to join the team. Ben drags Dragon Man off with him to go to a bar to go drinking. Reed sends Sue after him to help explain. But Sue agrees with Ben. It is a bad idea for Doom to join up. She says she's going to keep an eye on Doom, and if he acts up, a couple of well-placed force bubbles in his brain would do the trick. Spider-Man suggested Reed might be sleeping on the couch that night. No one appreciates the attempt at humor. Spider-Man, Reed, and Doom head into that circular classroom to discuss how to help Dr. Doom with his brain damage. Uh, I thought Valeria said that she could cure that. I guess she was just bullshitting the guy. She does have a suggestion, though. They need to back up Victor's brain which I recall issue 288, one of my favorite issues, where they imprinted a backup of Victor's brain into young Christoph Bernard. Funny, but I immediately thought of Christoph Bernard. But it takes Dr. Doom a couple of pages until it finally dawns on Doom as well. Christoph, he says. Over at Muck's bar with Sue and Ben and Dragon Man, Ben suggests they head back and beat the crap out of old Victor Von Doom. But Dragon Man disagrees. He says that he no longer sees aggressive physical action as a practical solution to any problem. Boy, he's in the wrong place. A comic book. Ben goes on to lament the fact that he doesn't feel like he knows his place in the world. The next day in Latveria, Reed, Spider-Man, and Valeria, Nathaniel, and Doctor Doom, in a white cape and a tunic now, land and they pay a visit to the newly installed leader, Kristoff, who says, Welcome home, father to Doctor Doom. Next we get a scene of Nathaniel filling Spider-Man in on the history of Christoph Bernard and how they plan to reverse the process that put all of Doom's memories into Christoph and put those memories from Christoph back into Doctor Doom. Which now that I think about it, 
didn't Kristoff stop the process somewhere around Fantastic Four issue 5? Valeria mentions that they're not going to pull all of Kristoff's memories, only the parts of his brain needed to fix Doctor Doom's. So they lay Doctor Doom and Kristoff down on that machine, hooked up to their heads, and there are two buttons. One for transferring, and the other for purging. And boy, Reed is really tempted to hit that purge button. But he sees Nathaniel there looking at him, so he hits transfer. The machine cranks up, energy bursts out all over the room, the device is losing stability, as is the storyline. And then, Doctor Doom emerges from the wreckage, saying, Doom is reborn, sounding very ominous. And when Kristoff offers to let Doom reclaim his throne, Doom declines, saying that he kept his plans to keep his word to Valeria. Now, this is the first that Reed has ever heard of this so-called deal with Doctor Doom, and his deal with Valeria was that he agreed to help Valeria defeat Reed Richards, a task that Doom is eager to get on with. And that's a pretty good deal for Doctor Doom, if you ask me. Welcome to episode 588, part 4, FF3, from July 2011. Whatever happened to all those reads? By Jonathan Hickman and Steve Epting. So on the roof of the Baxter building, Reed, Doom, Nathaniel, and Valeria are watching the rest of the Future Foundation head off in several flying ships. Future cars? I guess. It doesn't have the same ring to it. And Doom says to Reed, Soon they will return, Richards, and with them surely bring your doom. Where have they gone? Well, Ben and the three smart Moloids are meeting with the High Evolutionary, who is pleased that his evolution city actually works. Ben hands him a note, saying, Oh, wait ya, take a look at this. In Rubedo, the home of Diablo, which looks like he's living inside a giant hollowed-out tree trunk, which is pretty cool, he's impressed that Dragon Man has gotten so smart. Also, he gets one of those notes from Franklin. So Reed sent his son to meet with Diablo alone with only a pacifist dragon robot to protect him. Am I supposed to believe this is real? Diablo asks upon reading the note. I feel the same way after reading every issue of FF. Next, the Mad Thinker gets a note from Spider-Man and he reads it. It's an invitation which the Mad Thinker, you know, thinks about madly and he accepts. And at the secret aim base, the home of the wizard now, it's not so secret, because Doom appears with that boy, who's a clone of the wizard, Bentley, and they deliver that invitation, which says it's for a symposium conquering the Mount Fantastic. How to finally defeat Reed Richards, hosted by Victor Von Doom, to be held at the Baxter Building in two days, BYOB. Okay, it doesn't say BYOB. Reed's not cheap, there's gonna be free liquor. By the way, why is Dr. Doom hosting that event? He's tried and failed 
more times than anybody to defeat Reed Richards. That would be like me hosting a symposium on how to host a good podcast. So a couple days later, they've got all these guys around a table. Wizard, Mad Thinker, Diablo, High Evolutionary, a couple of AIM dudes, Nathaniel, Valeria, Doom, and Reed. It's a small symposium, and they have a special guest, Uatu the Watcher. They didn't have to deliver his invitation. He knew it was going to happen. Reed asks, The Watcher? Valeria, what have you done? Valeria tells her dad about how she found that machine that teleports him to the other dimension where that big council of Reed Richards's meet. She chatted with uh, uh, some of the Reeds for a bit, and they told her to tell her dad that he still has a place with him if he wants it. And then suddenly, fast forward a few months later, odd, such a big jump in time, at the peak, Old Atlantis, some of the new Old Atlanteans bring an Atlantean prisoner to Reed Richards, who pulls out a device and says, Hold him still. This is going to hurt. And the device reads the creature's brain and kills him. This may not be our Reed Richards. He doesn't seem to care that he just killed that creature. And he learns that the Uhari are plotting against the other houses, planning to cement their grasp during expansion. Some kind of internal strife going on among the old Atlanteans. Reed says he can help, but he needs something in return. And at the Forever City, another Reed Richards is there with Mole Man, who is concerned about all his Moloids moving to the Forever City and leaving his kingdom behind. This Reed asks, And exactly what are you willing to pay to make that happen? And on the blue area of the moon, another Reed is making an offer to the Universal Inhumans, but they don't really trust him. They read his mind, find out he's up to no good, and they kill him. And over on the other side of Zero, the cult of the negative zone, one of Reed's goes one read one of the Reeds goes to speak to the high priest. He takes him to a room where he can talk via a hologram with Annihilus. Reed makes a deal. He needs to he needs access to the negative zone. And in return, he agrees to leave the portal open so Annihilus can flood the Earth with armies and, you know, annihilate the world. Ugh, this dude has a one-track mind. Always with the annihilating. So later, these Reed Richardses are meeting together, and they're about to proceed with their plan. One Reed says, Now we sacrifice this world for the greater good. One world for the many. Now brothers, we orchestrate a war. That sounds like a dick move. I think they're just jealous because our Reed Richards, Reed Prime, doesn't want to play with them. Welcome to episode 588, part 5. FF4 from July 2011. The Beating of Drums by Jonathan Hickman and Barry Kitson. So Sue is making sandwiches for the kids, and for the rebooted Spider-Man, and all the kids but Valeria like to have their crust cut off. So does Spider-Man. You know, does anybody like the crust on a piece of bread? There's the people who cut off the crust, and the people who are just too lazy to cut off the crust. I don't know anyone who's like, oh yeah, 
I love the crust. Screw the rest of the bread. I just want to eat the crust. Take a piece of bread, nibble the crust off, and throw the rest away. Nobody does that. How is it in all these years, and all the different types of bread in the grocery store, no one has ever sold a crust-free loaf of bread that I know of? I should take that idea onto Shark Tank. I'd walk in the room, and I'd be like, three words, crust-free bread. Mark Cuban would jump out of his chair, run over, and hug me. These are the kinds of things I dream about when I fall asleep at my desk at work every day. Spider-Man asks Sue if she's worried that Reed invited all these people to their headquarters for a meeting. Wizard, Doctor Doom, Mad Thinker, El Diablo, High Evolutionary. She said they all have one thing in common. The Fantastic Four have beaten them all. So she's not worried about them. Ah, oh, she's so cocky. So we go back into the room with Reed, Valeria, the, Wiz the Watcher, and all those bad guys. Even though, I've never really thought of the High Evolutionary as a bad guy. So they get to the business of how to defeat Reed Richards. But the thing that they're really talking about is how to defeat those other Reed Richardses from the other dimensions and other universes. Reed points out that they're not like him. They don't have families or friends, just each other, and an overwhelming desire to play God in the universe. He says, this is much worse than any of them could have imagined. I bet it is. Look at that table, it's empty, no snacks. They came all the way for this symposium and they don't even get snacks? Outside the door, Ben Grimm is standing guard, and that kid, Bentley, comes over to harass him. You know, that white outfit, that is not a good look on Ben. It's, it's not a very slimming color. Bentley is wondering what's going on in there, and he seems excited to have all those supervillains around. But Ben, on the other hand, uh, not so much. He turns to leave, saying that he's going to take a few days off. He needs a break. Soon, an alarm goes off, and everyone goes running into Sue's room, where a portal opens up, and out comes one of those new, old Atlanteans uh, telling her about the open revolt at the peak. These new old Atlanteans are revolting, in more ways than one. Sue says that Spider-Man and Alex Powers are coming with her. Being a member of Future Foundation might must suck for Spider-Man because he has to keep his mask on all the time. It's gotta be the worst. Back with the meeting, an AIM, an AIM agent lays it out, saying to Reed, these men are just as intelligent as you, but lack the soft nature and general weakness that you possess. They have the ambition to rule the worlds and decide the fate of others as they see fit. I do believe I like these reeds, Doom chimes in. Reed points out that these other reeds have turned any Doctor Doom they've encountered on the various worlds into vegetables. And then Diablo chimes in and says, well then, I do believe I like these reeds! Doom is not amused. Reed doesn't mention what the reeds do to the various Diablos in the other dimensions and other worlds. They probably laugh at him and tease him for his outfit. Doom asks, How do we find and defeat these men? You know, I have an idea. Have them all take turns dating Tether Swift. She'll destroy them all. So they know that the reeds are working on a machine. Valeria says it's called Souls Anvil. It's buried under the moon, on the moon, and has some connection with the Ascension Engine in Forever City. And there's part of it in the negative zone, and they need a thermal vent under the old Atlantis, so there you go. They've just connected those four cities. Odd that these four places popped up right as the Council of Reeds 
was planning to use them in their plans. What a coincidence. Spider-Man, Sue, and Alex arrive at the peak. Their uniforms have turned black now, which looks much better. And the three of them get busy fighting off these creatures who are surrounding and attacking the city. But some of the, some of the old Atlanteans seem happy. The ground opens up and out pops that underground creature from the cover of Fantastic Four number one, along with the Mole Man, a bunch of Moloids, and one of those bad reads who says, Bring the city down! Welcome to episode 588, part 6, FF5, from August 2011, The Sound of War, by Jonathan Hickman and Barry Kitson. So later, the rest of the gang are, fill, are filling Reed in on where Sue, Alex, and Spidey went, while Franklin and the kids hold the group of villains at bay with suction cup guns. I don't think Doom could survive the indignity of having a suction cup shot and stuck to his metal face. Reed hooks up some machine that allows him to see the peak, the Atlantean city, which is now gone. And that, that takes us to 15 minutes earlier where Mole Man pops up with that other reed from another dimension, Sue flies over on an invisible platform. Mole Man is surprised to see her, and she asks what's going on. The other reed pulls up his goggles, and she immediately realizes that he's not her reed. And he says he prefers brunettes, and he zaps her with an energy gun. Spider-Man swings over to catch her, even though he's shooting his webs up into the air and swinging on something. This is Antarctica. There is not any skyscrapers around for him to swing on, so I don't know what he's doing. Alex uses his gravity powers to create a small canyon in between himself and all the monsters. The shield around the city collapses, and the other reed asks Mole Man, Have your Moloids assembled the machines? And Mole Man replies that they have. They're ready to amplify the vent, but it will destroy the city in the process. The other reed says, do it. And with a loud rumble, the city is destroyed. Sue, Spider-Man, and Alex get to their ship with Sue saying that she's going to contact Namer to help relocate all these Atlanteans who just lost their home. And then they're going to get some answers about what's going on. So later, Ben has found another old friend, Alicia Masters. He's at her apartment, serving tea to her ex-boyfriend, and she says, You haven't called. You know, strange, during the Mark Millar run that Ben got engaged to that teacher, Alicia never, Alicia never came up. That was never a big thing made about Alicia. So Ben has been going through a tough time, and she says, There are two things that he has to deal with. One, Johnny's gone. He's not. And two, she loves Ben. She's nuts. She says, there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm sure Michelle Bachman says the same thing every night when she crawls into bed with her husband. Back at the Baxter building, 
Reed is putting a cast on Alex's arm, which he broke during the fight with the, in Antarctica. Next, he diagnoses Sue with a mild concussion. A concussion? Is this the first actual concussion in the history of the book? All the times that Johnny has been knocked out, no one ever seemed concerned about concussions. Sue is concerned about the fact that there's this other Reed running around and wonders if it has something to do with Reed's supervillain summit. What are you hiding from me? She asks. He sits down and admits, I've done something terrible. Back at Forever City, a group of alt-reeds are hard at work, and the group of Forever City evolved Moloids makes a deal with alt-reed and Mole Man. The reeds will fix the Ascension engine, and in return, they will close their doors so no more of Mole Man's Moloids can move in and abandon Mole Man's kingdom. They hear something and they see something in the sky. A Forever City guy asks, What is that? One of the reeds at one of the reeds says it's a tillin. It's the inhumans who have been out traveling the galaxy in their flying city. They've now returned to Earth, and they sat down right in the middle of Forever City. And the reeds uh, they don't seem too happy with that. I doubt they were planning to deal with Black Bolt and his family. Welcome to episode 588 part 7, FF number 6 from September 2011, Two Kings by Jonathan Hickman and Greg Tuchihini. So the issue begins with kind of a recap of previous events. Months ago, deep in space, there was a battle between two empires. One empire appears to be the Shi'ar Empire. The other, it doesn't say. It does say there was a war of kings, and we see that Black Bolt and the Inhumans were involved. I think there was a crossover once called War of Kings, if I'm not mistaken. I guess that's what Black Bolt has been up to. Warring with kings out in space. And then, oh, the title page says they were at war with the Kree Empire. And in that battle, Black Bolt was killed, apparently. But as Attilan reappears on Earth, Black Bolt is sitting upon his throne. Why? Well, it's a comic book. In that flashback to start the book, we see Black Bolt die. But then we have a flashback to hundreds of thousands of years ago, Long before Stan Vincent wrote that soul classic, Ooh Child, there's a meeting of some Cree scientist with Ronan the Accuser. He is that old. He's had thousands of years of accusations. They meet with the Cree Supreme Intelligence to discuss their plans to seed the galaxy. Maybe that explains Wilt Chamberlain. He was secretly a Kree warrior on a mission to seed the galaxy. So anyway, at some point, the Supreme Intelligence orders Ronan to kill the scientist, and he orders an empire cleansing. And they go on a killing spree. And as the issue ends, with Black Bolt floating in the sky with his eyes glowing, I'm left wondering, what the hell did I just read? What does this issue have to do with anything? This is a very short 
summary of FF6. A pretty pointless issue. That brings us to... Welcome to Fantastic Forecast, episode 588, part 8. FF number 7, from September 2011, The Supremer Seed, by Jonathan Hickman and Greg Tuchahini. So Black Bolt is floating in space. He gets grabbed by a tentacle. Ooh, space octopus. I like it. He tries to fight it off. He gets grabbed by a whole slew of tentacles, and he screams as he gets dragged into the hungry maw of a space creature which kind of looks like a big space sarlacc. The creature is blown apart and Black Bolt lands on some kind of asteroid and his old buddy Lockjaw appears and they teleport away. Back on Hala, the cream, Hala, the Cree homeworld, Medusa is sitting on the throne hearing some suggestions from the Cree people such as give us control of our empire back. And when Black Bolt appears with Lockjaw, Medusa tells everyone to get on their knees. I guess we I guess if you're lost in space long enough and then you get home, a thousand Cree blowjobs sounds pretty good. So Black Bolt gets takes the throne with no conversation about where he was or how he came back to life. I guess it's pointless to ask. It's not like Black Bolt's gonna answer. Why doesn't he use sign language, by the way, or something? The whole Black Bolt not speaking thing has always bugged me. Medusa just seems to be reading his mind, but I've always suspected that he's just a puppet, and she says whatever she wants to say and attributes it to her husband. I'm so glad we don't have a leader like that who's a total puppet. So this Kree guy is going on and on about how weak the Empire is and how they plan to divert resources from the strong worlds to help out the weaker worlds, but he doesn't like that plan. What is that? Some kind of healthcare plan? Medusa care? Black Bolt waves his hand. Are you sure? Medusa says. She says that he said to leave the decision to Ronan the Accuser. How can Black Bolt convey that much information with just a little wave of his hand, huh? Because, Medusa says, they're leaving, they're going home. And why? Because Black Bolt says, I am awake. And by speaking, he blows a big hole in the floor. So they leave. But Crystal, she stays behind. And she's holding hands with Ronan. Crystal and Ronan. Really, Ronan. That guy can't dance worth shit. There's a flashback to hundreds of thousands of years ago with the Kree Supreme Intelligence talking to Ronan, telling him that his death one day is inevitable. Well, that's an insightful thought, Sherlock. And that's when he comes up with the idea for the Supremer Seed. And he puts that seed in the big hammer that Ronan carries around. And I guess in order to spread that seed, you have to bang something really hard with your hammer? Ugh. And a month ago, in the city on the moon with the Universal Inhumans, they are quite excited that Black Bolt and his family have come back. So the old dude, Dal Damok, who was left behind, introduces Black Bolt to the Universal Inhumans and to Black Bolt's other wives. Who knew? The Inhumans 
are Mormon. Go figure. Maybe they should move Attilan to Utah. The other wives are those four other women from each race who were introduced in that issue way back that introduced the Universal Inhumans. Black Bolt and Medusa don't seem to object to the idea of Black Bolt suddenly having all these other wives. Black Bolt takes his throne, and later, he's got one thing on his mind. War. Ugh. Who thinks about war when they're getting that much pussy? Welcome to Fantastic Forecast, episode 588, part 9, FF number 8. From October 2011, Ascension by Jonathan Hickman and Greg Tuchihini. So we pick up where we left off a few issues ago. Last two issues, really, were they needed? Two issues to explain where Black Bolt was. So Black Bolt and his um, harem and all the more Inhumans have arrived in the Forever City, planning to take the city. So a big fight breaks out between the Inhumans and the Forever City Moloids back at the Baxter building. Sue is having a chat with Nathaniel, saying that she doesn't quite trust him. She feels like there's some kind of war coming up and she doesn't know anything about it. Her husband, Reed Prime, enters the room and Nathaniel tells him he shouldn't lie to his wife. There are other Reeds they're going to cause trouble, and that will tear this world apart, he says. Reed kisses his wife goodbye, and he's going on a mission with his new buddies, Dr. Doom, Mad Thinker, Wizard, Diablo, and two guys from AIM, and High Evolutionary, who are now members of the Future Foundation as well, all dressed in white. Which is very weird for the High Evolutionary, because he still has that pink helmet on. So they get in a few ships, and a large group of them uh, head to Forever City, where they're surprised to see Attilan sitting there. They get out, they split up, the High Evolutionary has to go disable the Ascension Engine, while everyone else, well, they want to kill some evil reeds. Baxter, uh, back at the Baxter building, Valeria is trying to break into Reed's lab with no luck. But Franklin comes along with a welding torch, cutting through the walls, the metal walls, with luck. Ah, the things that kids will go through to find those hidden Christmas presents. Back in the Forever City, the wizard gets his ass kicked. Dr. Doom exhibits an unusual amount of strength by picking up a huge chunk of the ground, and Lockjaw and Medusa appear and they teleport Reed Prime into Attilan. Dr. Doom has his hand around one of the reeds' necks when he gets blasted in the back by Diablo and the Mad Thinker. They saw their chance and they took it. Not sure why, but they did. You would think they would rather be killing some reeds. Welcome to Fantastic Forecast, episode 588, part 10, FF9, from November 2011. Burn It Down by Jonathan Hickman and Steve Epting. So Dr. Doom is on fire and he gets up and he's like, Fire? Really? This is nothing new. He's gonna kick Diablo's ass 
But the Mad Thinker tells Doom to try something new, like Mercy. I don't think Dr. Doom is inclined to try something new. His name is Dr. Doom, not Dr. Mercy. Back in Attilan, Reed, Nathaniel, and Spider-Man, who so far over the course of these issues has been completely useless, he has no business being a character in this book, none at all. Such an obvious ploy to grab more readers. Black Bolt shows up. Reed seems glad to see him alive. Medusa says that they have plans, and the other Reed Richardses have plans, and their plans conflict with one another. And she tells Reed Prime to stay out of the way. But Reed Prime is not inclined to stay out of the way. His name is Mr. Fantastic, not Mr. Stay out of the way. The Inhumans say that they're not asking for Reed's permission. Meanwhile, at the Baxter building, Bentley and Valeria are playing a game of let's make a deal. Bentley offers Valeria a choice of bag number one or bag number two. She picks bag number two, which is a Pop-Tart. She wins. She takes it out and she eats it. In the other bag, an apple. Bentley says it's the worst snack ever. We see the two of them hiding out in the room with that machine that travels to the dimension where Reed met those other Reeds, and Bentley says that room could be the safest place in the whole world. Ugh, apparently he doesn't get out much. Back in Attilan, Medusa calls this chaos inhuman justice. I call it chaos. I have no idea what they're doing. Are they trying to kill all the Forever City Moloids? Which looks like it. The two guys from AIM have had enough. They want to get out of there. Mole Man and the Evil Reeds are trying to keep the Ascension Engine intact, but Mole Man decides he'd rather just leave. That big monster of his, it breaks the bridge apart that he's standing on, and Mole Man goes away riding on top of his monster, and then Maximus the Mad shows up out of nowhere and starts crashing into stuff with his tank. I don't know what the hell's going on. There are too many characters doing too many things all at once in a story that desperately cries out for some narration balloons. Oh, but modern comic book writers are too lazy to provide any narration most of the time. The Inhumans capture a couple of the evil reeds, and meanwhile, one of the reeds meets up with Doctor Doom saying that he's defeated Doctor Doom on countless other worlds. He knows how to deal with them. And he teleports behind Doctor Doom's back and he puts a device around his neck which turns Doctor Doom into his slave. And after all the fighting is over, the Inhumans tell Reed Prime to go home. And there's this door called Eldrak, which will take them wherever they want to go. Spider-Man asks if it'll take them back in time, and Reed says it will. It understands your desires and will take you where you need to be, letting you erase your sins in the past and stop yourself from making horrible mistakes. Nathaniel Richards says they're about to find out, and they stroll into the bright light of the Eldrick door. Welcome to Fantastic Forecast, episode 588, part 11. FF number 10 from December 2011. What I Need by Jonathan Nickman and Barry Kitson. So they walk through that door and Reed ends up in the place he needs to be. His lab in the Baxter building, of course. 
boring. Next, we see Ronan the Accuser taking control over the Kree Empire and telling his girlfriend, Crystal, that she can go back to her people if she wants to. But she says that she's run before. She always runs. But now, she's not running. She's hooked up with a homicidal maniac, one of the biggest thugs in the galaxy. Now would be a very appropriate time to run. Oh, Crystal. Her stupidity has always been rather inhuman. Back with Reed, he's filled Sue in on what has happened. Black Bolt has returned! There was a giant battle! Multiversal use! Alliances dissolved! Cities collapsing! Worlds colliding! And you get shown the door! Dear, did you not have a good day at work? She says. Sue is apparently working on her plants in their greenhouse. They have a greenhouse? Where did all these plants come from? I've never seen a room like that before in the Baxter building. They have a little conversation about how there are dark days ahead. And Sue says maybe they can't be avoided. And she asks that there be no more bad guys in their house. And then she asks, whatever happened to Dr. Doom? And back in Latveria, one of the evil reeds arrives with his slave, Dr. Doom. And then Nathaniel arrives. Apparently this was the place where he was supposed to be. The evil reed recalls his own father, who participated in that crazy Nathaniel Richards Hunger Games contest. And his father turned into a crazed killer, calling himself the Beast. I don't think Hank McCoy would approve. Evil Reed asks Nathaniel if the game is over, and he says yes, he is the last Nathaniel. And Evil Reed finds it remarkable that the father of this world's Reed, Richards, was the winner of that contest, and it makes him dislike Reed Prime even more. Evil Reed figures that Nathaniel is there because Doctor Doom needs him, but Nathaniel corrects him saying that perhaps he's there because the evil Reed needs him. Next, we see the Thing at Avengers Mansion talking on the phone to someone, maybe Alicia, when Spider-Man shows up in his classic costume. So Avengers Mansion, which I don't, re I didn't realize still existed, is where Spider-Man most needed to be? Oh, this whole plot point about the Eldritch Door sending these three people to one place that they're needed the most has been a total fail. Like, what was the point? Back in Attilan, the Kree are about to attack, led by Ronan, with Crystal at his side. Okay, Ronan really is an idiot. She pretends like she's okay with this, but she's gotta be secretly planning to do something to stop him. Back at the Baxter Building, the whole point of Spider-Man appearing at Avengers Mansion was to bring Ben back to the Baxter Building. But Ben said he was only going away for a few days, I didn't get the impression that Ben had even quit the team, so him him coming back doesn't really pack any kind of emotional punch. Ben has come back with a few friends, Iron Man, Captain America, and Hawkeye. Ooh, Hawkeye! I can imagine so many scenarios where a guy with a bow and arrow will come in very handy. Hi, welcome to Fantastic Forecast, episode 588, part 12, FF. 11 from December 2011, Intelligence by Jonathan Hickman and Barry Kitson.
And we've reached the home stretch. At the Baxter Building, Franklin and Leech, the dumb kids, are spying on the smart kids as they build some kind of device in Reed's lab. Reed comes in and tries to ask what the kids are doing, but Valeria is tight-lipped and doesn't say much. It's funny how the government is always worried about countries like Iraq and North Korea building weapons of mass destruction. The real cause for concern is what the hell is going on in the Baxter building? You know, if President Kennedy had known about Reed and his crazy inventions, instead of a Cuban Missile Crisis, there would have been a Fantasta Missile Crisis. If President Nixon had any idea what was going on, he would have bugged the Baxter Building. It would have been Baxter Gate. If President Clinton had any idea of what was going on in Reed's lab, he would have put a hidden camera in Sue's bathroom. Okay. So back in Attilan, the Mad Thinker and Diablo are locked in some kind of cell, while the place is taken, being run over by Ronan and his Kree soldiers. And Ronan finds something he was looking for. The one man in the universe who possesses the innate ability, the innate talent that the Kree needs, Reed Richards. And in fact, the Inhumans have two of them locked up in a cell. So at the other side of Zero, the cult of the Negative Zone, this cult, I still don't understand their involvement in this story, other than the fact that Johnny seems to have died in the Negative Zone, the Anti-Priest is giving a speech about killing every living thing on this planet to a room full of eggs, which start to hatch, revealing snake-like or lizard-like creatures inside, which will be placed in the bodies of a thousand hosts. And the Anti-Priest reveals to a hologram of Annihilus that they're ready to attack and bridges between the Negative Zone and Earth have been placed at various locations, such as the kitchen of McDonald's. So back at the Baxter Building, Reed is speaking to a whole room full of Marvel heroes. Power Man and Iron Fist, Iron Man, Hawk Guy, Miss Marvel, Black Panther, Firestar, Red Hulk, Namor, the uh, Doctor Strange, Daredevil, and several others. Even Moon Knight. Okay, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Still, no Moon Knight. No, uh, no calamity is big enough to invite Moon Knight. He doesn't get to appear in the pages of the Fantastic Four spin-off book, FF even. Reed has filled them in on everything that's going on, and Captain America steps forward and says that they're going to Attilan in an hour. So far, I don't feel like this group of evil Reeds has been that big of a threat. The fan, the FF, have faced bigger foes before and not called the Avengers or other heroes for help. Back in Forever City, Ronan and the evil Reeds have reignited the Ascension Engine, and after they help out, Ronan kills them all, saying they've been judged. Well, let's see Ronan on Dancing with the Stars and see how harshly he gets judged. So Ronan opens up his hammer, and that weird thing that uh, the Supreme Intelligence gave him comes out, the Supremer Seed. Um, it sucks the brains of the two dead reeds, which recreates the Supreme Intelligence. And that brings the Supreme Intelligence back to life after 300,000 years. 
Which must be a different supreme intelligence than the one we've seen before. I didn't know he was dead. His first question... Where are my armies? That was probably the first question asked by the US president who took office in January 2017. And the second question... Which way is the bathroom? Reed and the other heroes are on the roof, about to leave for Attilan, when the skies of New York are filled with Cree ships. And that is the end of that. To be continued, not in the pages of FF, but in the pages of The Fantastic Four, as the book returns after a one-year layoff. It's hard to believe. I discovered a year of comics in one episode, in one podcast, but it doesn't feel like very much has happened. Just a lot of work trying to tie up all these different storylines and subplots together, like Forever City, Universal Inhumans, the Atlanteans, the Kree, the Cult of the Negative Zone. There's just so many places and things. It's very super ambitious, which I admire. It's been building towards something big, but building very slowly. I do find the overall story interesting, and even though I've read these issues once before, I never quite know which way the story is turning next. I give Hickman high marks for plotting out this convoluted story, even though a little more explanation at times would be appreciated. Some things that I haven't liked, for example, the inclusion of Spider-Man. Why? He must be the worst Fantastic Four replacement ever, if you count the Future Foundation as a Fantastic Four. The best replacements are, number one, she-Hulk. Number two, Crystal. Number three, She-Thing. Okay, maybe She-Thing is number two and Crystal is number three. Black Panther, number four. Storm, number five. Power Man, number six. And, at a distant number seven, a Spider-Man. They seem to know he's Peter Parker, but he never takes off his mask. Why is that? By the way, Spider-Man's chemistry is with the Human Torch. They are the friends. They're the ones who work well together and make a fun team when they get together. So having Spider-Man in the Fantastic Four without Johnny seems kind of pointless. It just feels like a cynical sales gimmick in a way that those others uh, don't. I mean, who thought that the sheet thing would increase sales? It didn't. I'm still not sold on this group of kids either, and whatever they're up to. Moloid kids, Alex Powers, Bentley, Artie, Leech. I don't care about these characters one bit. You know what would be fascinating is the idea of all these uh, super villains joining up. What if Reed had gone out and recruited some other smart but second string super villains to help him out? The Marvel Universe is lousy with mad scientists and other technological geniuses who could have been recruited by Reed and given a second chance to do good, Thunderbolt style. Smart, super smart kids, uh, they don't bring much to the table in my opinion. So that's it, a very long podcast that is running at over an hour. Is that, is this, this may very well be the longest one I've ever done. I'll have to go back and check the Secret Wars podcast. Well, it should be long. It took me over six years to make it. So that's all for now. If you have any questions about the Future Foundation, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, Dave Elliott Podcast FF, or you can download 
other episodes of iTunes or find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is finally over. I, I just took a ride in a silver machine. And I'm still feeling You want to ride? See yourself going by the other side of the sky. I got a silver machine. It flies sideways through time. It's an electric It's a sodium sign. I got a silver machine. I've got a silver machine.